I'm delighted to be hosting this podcast, Third Millennium Education. It's a collection of thoughts and inspirations of stakeholders within education. What is education for and who is it serving? This is a podcast exploring state-mandated education, its relevance, impact, and how it can best meet the needs of third millennium learners, employers, and the country. I interview exciting people who have had direct experience of education. So whether you are a parent training to be a teacher, a policymaker, an academic, or an education innovator, somebody working in ed tech, there will be something for you. I'm your host, Senna Hobson. Hi, today I'm talking to Callum James, who runs a company called Event Connect and a company called Zeal, which are two businesses that work in the music industry. Both, I'm not in the music industry, but a music promotion and a music technology solution. And I'm delighted to talk to him about his experiences of education, which I think in opening I'll put straight up front and central were not good. Callum. My name's Callum. Um... 26 years old. It's obviously a pleasure to be on here with you. Thanks, thanks for having me on to sort of give you a different side of education from someone that didn't really enjoy school, don't think really benefited from what it can potentially offer young people. For me, I enjoyed school at a younger age. It wasn't until I got to secondary school where I started to really to sort of disengage and just not want to be in school. Before we get into your secondary school experience, just talk me through what was primary school like for you? What worked there? Primary was great, as much as I can remember anyway. It was somewhere where I wanted to be and felt engaged. There wasn't really anything that stood out about primary school that I really enjoyed. I think it was myself more as a person. Um, I still wanted to be at school and enjoyed what was offered to me. Okay. Were you a sporty kid at primary? Always been sporty, yeah, always been a part of school football teams, football outside of school, boxing. Yeah, I've always been sporty. So you had that in primary. How did your secondary school experience start? What started going wrong for you? First of all, it's getting that little bit older, thinking that you know everything, being exposed to different things such as smoking I suppose I started smoking quite young as soon as I started joining as soon as I joined secondary school um I think it was more going out with your friends after school as well mixing with different people maybe different people from different backgrounds and schools I'd always sort of go down the park every day after school as soon as I joined secondary school and then that's where you get up to mischief smoking drinking your social behavior that sort of stuff so that's what was happening to you outside of school what was happening in school? Were there lessons you liked, lessons you didn't like? There was lessons I did like, but the majority of lessons I didn't enjoy. I didn't think they benefited me. There's a lot in school that I think is completely irrelevant when you grow up, unless it's something that you want to do specifically, taking stem cells, taking stems from a leaf, unless you want to become a scientist. I don't think it really adapts to real life stuff. So you didn't feel what you were learning was going to be relevant to your life, so you became less engaged? Exactly. A simpler way, yes. That's exactly it. So what happened to you in school? You're sitting in your secondary school. What what happened? I was getting bored, really, to be honest, and probably looking for attention, start playing up in class. I just really didn't want to be there, and I knew to get out of being at school, all I had to do was disrupt the classroom 
and I would be sent out of class. And if I didn't sort of obey or we had something called isolation. Um, so if you were disrupting a class, you'd ask to leave. If you weren't willing to stop disrupting the class, you'd be put in something called isolation, which was really just a room full of other children like myself. We didn't want to be at school. We give them work, wouldn't be expected to do it. We would just be facing a wall, not talking to anyone else. But as you can probably imagine, a group full of young children who are all sort of disruptive, all in one room, you can probably imagine it, it got even more out of control. So withdrawing you from the classroom, putting you in isolation, putting you with young people who were experiencing the same thing, did nothing to re-engage you in education. What happened next then? What year group? I know you got excluded from school. What year did you get excluded from your first school in? So the first time I got excluded was I was actually in junior school. I was in year six, junior school. I think actually that's probably the first time I can remember where I didn't want to be at school. I jumped over the fence at school and just went home. That was in year six. I remember being excluded for a day for that. Then in year seven, I started to be a bit more disruptive. Had some fights sort of here and there and was excluded for two days and then a week And then it wasn't until I got to year eight where I really started not wanting to be at school, knowing that if I disrupted school and everyone else's general learning, then I would be excluded. And it was Christmas year eight. So sort of end of first term year eight is when I was permanently excluded from my first school. I then went to a second mainstream school. I was only there for three months. I think I was excluded more days than I wasn't than I was supposed to be there. Again, generally for just disrupting classes. I did used to fight a lot. So fighting, and that was outside of school. I was at that second mainstream school for three months. And then I finished the end of year eight at a, I can't remember what they call it nowadays. It was an exclusion school, basically, for children that have been ex- that's exactly a pupil referral unit. So it was quite a long time ago now. But yeah, so I spent the rest of year eight at a pupil referral unit. Before um, we get into your life experience in the pupil referral unit, I just wanted to go yeah. back to something you'd said about getting into a lot of fights. So clearly you had quite a lot of anger related issues. How do I you did, feel yes. the school, the mainstream schools dealt with those? I don't think they're prepared, to be totally honest. I think... Obviously, due to the amount of underfunding and cuts that they've had throughout the last sort of few decades, they don't have the time, to be honest. They do have facilities, but they're not really prepared for children like myself or how I was then. I think where the classes are so much bigger now as well, and they're, they're constantly growing, teachers, they, I don't think that they have, they want to focus on the children that are actually going to work. Do you know what I mean? So if they've got 32 children in a class and two are being disrupted, let's say, for them, it's easier for them to just take them out of the equation and focus on the kids that actually want to learn. And that's what I found. I found that I was just left to my own devices. They didn't really care what I did. And the answer was just exclusion, taking me out of the situation rather than focusing on what the actual problems were and how to resolve them. So, Callum, you got removed from mainstream education, sent to a pupil referral unit that's designed to cater for young people in your situation whose needs, you know, maybe have needs around challenging behaviour or have other specific needs. How did you find that pupil referral unit? I found them a lot more supportive and prepared. Of course, they're designed for children that are being disruptive and 
not engaging in school. So I found it was more beneficial in a sense where you had a lot more time for whatever challenges you may have. The only thing that I don't think is good about people referral units is you're kind of just throwing all of those disruptive people in one place. So it's chaos, to be honest. The first one I went to was year five to year nines, and it was crazy. Fights every day. No one was really learning anything. It was just keeping the kids sat in their chairs, not running around the corridors. For me, I don't think people referral units work. I think they're just a place to toss children that have been disruptive and just chuck them into somewhere where they're not seen and they're not heard and they don't really have to focus too much on them. The education side of it is non-existent. It's very basic. It's just difficult because you've got a lot of people, a lot of children there that have got a lot of issues at home. Myself, my sort of aggression and violence stemmed from stuff from my childhood. That's the majority. I'd say 80, 90 percent of the children there have they've either had a really difficult upbringing or they're continuing to have difficult challenges at home. So personally, I don't think it works at all from personal experience. But in terms of actually having more support, I definitely had more support there. Can I just ask, so were you exposed to violence in the home as a child? I was indeed, yeah. So your difficulty and challenges in managing your own aggression and anger came back from traumatic events in your own childhood. How well did the pupil referral unit address those? Better than mainstream, definitely. Yeah, as I mentioned, I was exposed to a lot of violence from an early age up until probably the age of it. And that definitely, anyone that says that it doesn't affect a young person hasn't even been in that situation before, so they wouldn't know. So... There was a lot of sort of one-to-one anger management courses that I had at the pupil referral unit that I wasn't offered at mainstream that really helped. But again, they're not funded enough to really make a difference, I don't think. So what was your attendance like at the pupil referral unit? Awful. By, By the end of year nine, they asked me not to bother coming back just because I was, again, fighting all the time, never turning up to school. I remember, bless my mum, had one of the teachers and the police come to my door saying that my mum would get a fine if I didn't go to school. I was basically stood there saying, there's no point in finding her because she can't make me go to school. So all you're going to do is, she was a single mum at the time, all you're doing is punishing a parent who, I know it should be down to the parents, but... I can imagine it's hard for a single mum who's trying to work a full-time job just to pay the bills and put food on the table to then have to try and force her son to go to school as well. So as I mentioned, my attendance was next to nothing, barely ever went to school. So you've been thrown out of main two mainstream schools. You go to a pupil referral unit and you get thrown out of that at the end of year nine. Yeah. What did you do for years 10 and 11? I was offered something called TIMS. TIMS is something where they try and introduce you to college a year early. So in year 10, I was offered to do a multi-trades course. So I was only going to school three days a week. I wasn't actually going to school. So two days of the week, I was going to a college to do multi-trades, something that I wasn't really interested in, but it was something better than being sat in a classroom. And I find doing practical things rather than just sitting there and regurgitating information and writing it in a test. Actually doing something practical, I think, benefited me much more than the theory side of things. So I do two days a week doing multi-trades at a college and then one day a week 
I would go to, it was like a community centre and they would have a tutor come in and teach you maths and English. So all I would learn is maths and English and my multi-trades course, that was three days a week at something called Tim's. It was for like for children like myself that went to the pupil referral unit and they weren't engaging there. So it was a sort of a step up closer to adult life. But again, I got into fights and I was kicked off that as well. Sent back to a pupil referral unit for year 10s and 11s, which I sort of spent the rest of my education there. But again, I was never there. I'd probably go in maybe once a week, if that. So really, from the first term of year eight, you had no consistent education at all? No, not from school anyway. Not from school. Not from school. And no. Just to finish up the story of your education input, I understand that you then ended up in trouble with the police. Yes. You then ended up serving time in a young offenders institution. I did, yes. The first time I was ever in trouble with the police, I was actually at the first pupil referral unit. Again, it was just not wanting to be at school. At that school, both they had key fobs to lock all of the doors. So every single door was locked. Each end of the corridor, both those doors were locked. I was trying to get out of the school to go home. Teachers were in my way. I was throwing punches. I was a young 13-year-old boy. I was quite tall as well. I was probably six foot by the time I was 14. So that's the first time I was arrested for assault. It was actually on a teacher, which is not something I'm proud of. But that was the first time I was in trouble with the police. And I was probably getting arrested once a month from the age of sort of 13, 14, up until the age of 17, when eventually they couldn't really dismiss any of my issues that I had. And I was sent to a Young Offenders Institute from 15 to 18 year olds. And I was actually released from there until my court date. They reminded me until my court date. Luckily, my solicitor was able to get me out on bail and I was on tag. It was actually within that time where I actually benefited the most. And that was from counselling. I did a lot of counselling and to try and understand what I was exposed to as a child sort of transitioned into my adult life and why I was so aggressive and violent and angry all the time and disengaged and that out of everything benefited me the most. So I did the counselling. By that stage, I was destined to go to prison. I was sentenced to 33 months for GBH. And I, with some of my remand time and tag time taken off. How long of your 33 months did you serve? Oh, okay. So I was sentenced to 33 months with, obviously, you spend half of that in custodial. Uh, so 16 and a half months. But I'd spent some time on tag and remand, which reduced it to 13 months. So I only had to serve 13 months. And I was let out after nine months on good behaviour to serve the remainder four months on tag. And then I was on licence for two years. So within that nine months, and I'm going to come back to the counselling in a minute, but within that nine months, how much education did you get? What training, learning opportunities did they give you? Because you were still a young man at this point. I was indeed, yeah. To be honest... I was offered just as much as I probably was at school, basic English maths, science, art, music, business studies. Um, I think the difference was I was more willing to be engaged then. I actually wanted to learn when by the time I went to prison. So I was, I was offered a good amount of education, which I took up. I actually did a fitness instructor course. I did quite a lot of education when I was in prison, actually. So tragically, the prison service managed to educate you slightly better than we did throughout school. 
You said that this counselling, so actually the counselling was probably the thing that had the most profound effect on you. Was that something that was paid for for you or did your family have to find the funds to pay for that? No, luckily for me, my family were able to to fund that for me. That counselling and actually understanding the impact of your sort of adverse experiences that you had when you were younger started to really make you think and change your behaviour and then prison you got some learning. Yes. Before we come on to talk about what you've done since and get into that a bit, what would have been different if you could wipe the slate clean and go back to year six when your behaviour is starting to get in the way of your learning, what would have worked for you in education? It's difficult because I can't say this is the same for everyone, but for me personally... I just didn't enjoy school. I don't think there would have been much they could have done in terms of classroom, sitting in a classroom, trying to learn from reading from a book or copying from a teacher and putting it on paper because academically I've never been amazing. I don't think I can read right to a pretty good standard, but that's not the way I learn. I'm much more of a visual person. I learn visually. To be honest, I don't think there would have been much they could have done in school for me personally. Maybe trying to understand what it was that I was feeling to want to be disruptive. I don't think they really, I don't want to say they didn't care, but I don't think they have the facilities to focus on all those young people that have got those issues, underlying issues. They really just want to focus on the kids that really do want to learn. And that, that's the downfall, I think, for mainstream schools is, is where they're underfunded. The classroom sizes are too big. It's too much theory rather than practical. Then it's not that they're not interested. They just don't have the facilities to deal with the one or two children per class that don't want to engage. So for them, the answer, and this is just from my point of view, the answer is to remove those people, concentrate on the ones that do want to learn. But it's when those children are removed... It's hard to say don't put them in a room all together and try and make them learn. But for me, that is the wrong thing to do because you're just putting all of the disruptive children in one room together. It's a double-ended sword, really. What I'm also hearing is that that the learning style of copying off the blackboard, being asked to read something and respond and do those sorts of things didn't work for you. You've described yourself as a visual learner. You've also described yourself at that age of being very keen on sport. And I'm wondering if the education system where we put everybody through a similar funnel just simply didn't suit you. And the other thing that I'm really picking up from you is that it took until you had actually been sentenced for that focused effort on you understanding your anger based on your experience to violence of being very young to come in. And I'm wondering if you feel that schools have any role in trying to find different ways of engaging young people in learning. You've said you're a practical learner. And I'm wondering if you feel that schools should be playing more of a part in actually helping young people who have experienced traumatic experiences to actually understand those, process them and manage them so that your education career might not have needed to start in prison. 
Oh, 100%. For me, it was the realisation of actually I'm going to prison now was the big wake-up call for me. The effect it was having on my family, especially my mum, I think that definitely gave me a realisation that I need to back up my ideas. But in terms of the education side and the school side of things, again, I think it goes back to underfunding. I think if schools were funded a little bit more to have the facilities to maybe focus more on sport, focus more on different styles of education that this is something that always stands out for me that they say that everyone is different and everyone learns differently yet they want to teach everyone the same way so for me it's never going to work doing it that way they need to focus I think on people's strengths a lot more if someone's really sporty push them for sport of course they need to do their their basic maths English and everything else but if someone's really really interested in sport you don't need for them to sit through a religious education class or a science class they may not be that academic it's not going to benefit them in future life it's not something that they're interested in whereas someone that wants to be a scientist for example that wants to be in science you don't need to push them to do uh, physical education it's good to have a little bit of it involved but focus more on science that's my opinion so what i'm hearing from that is that you would be keen for the education system to be changed to allow for flexible learning styles. So actually being engaged in your learning in different styles, having the opportunity to have it much more personalised to what interests you and actually being able to offer a different kind of support to young people who might be experiencing challenges. Definitely, 100%. I think when a young person, when they find their their passion and their talent, they should be pretty pushed to not solely do that, because of course you have to be educated on a number of different things just for life skills. But I mean, if someone is excelling in a certain subject, whether it be English, math, science, PE, music, for example, most of their school life should be focused on that. And I'm interested you just mentioned music there because obviously you've gone on to make your career as an entrepreneur in the music industry as an events promoter and also now an events technologist, I suppose. Would that be the right way to describe it? Yeah, you could say that, yes. I don't want to say music technology because that's not the right... I'd say music and events entrepreneur. Music and events entrepreneur. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit of a grey area, isn't it? Yeah, so... Hearing that, I mean, what you've gone on to do and your passion for music and setting up events and finding better ways for venues to collaborate with artists and for audiences to engage with music and venues. I mean, I dread to think what's happening to you during COVID, but we won't go into that. But your whole business model, a lot of that could have been taught to you in school. You could have had opportunities to think about even just making a playlist Yes, definitely. Was your passion for music picked up at any point in your education? No, not at all. Music was a lesson that it was a weird one, music, because you weren't really taught anything, to be honest. And again, that's underfunding. I think it's something that has been a lot more focused on in school now. I know you can do music as a GCSE now as well which is good. Something I've seen firsthand now as well, with music in particular, this is sort of what I'm focusing on now. I wasn't offered to learn how to become a DJ, for example, which I sort of found my passion for and what I wanted to do when I left prison. I wasn't offered to learn how to DJ or produce music or anything like that. 
but there's a company now, the two guys called Austin and Scott Smart, two brothers from Manchester. They run a business called Future DJs. Now, what they do is they go into mainstream schools and they have tutors from all around the country. They actually approached me to find the tutor in Portsmouth. They go into, this is a really funny story because the guy that represents future DJs, he goes into the first school that I got kicked out of in year eight. And he goes in there and he teaches kids to mix, which is DJing, mixing two songs together, producing all sorts of stuff. So it's funny, the person that goes into the school now and tutors is into the school that I got kicked out of. I actually placed him there. So it's quite a funny little story, really quite ironic. Quite ironic. And a crying shame, Callum, that nobody had been able to do that for you. No, it wasn't until I went to prison and I did a music technology course, which is when I actually found my real passion for mixing music, creating music. Um, Not something that I've sort of gone on to professionally, but as a hobby in my personal life, it's something that benefited me. And yeah, it wasn't until I went to prison and, and did that. I think because the classroom sizes were a lot smaller, it had a lot more focus on you. If you were struggling, you could literally go to the teacher and they're not, you haven't got 30 kids on their case. You've just got sort of five or six. Well, Callum, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for your time. And as I say, I think your insights are really powerful in terms of thinking about the individual needs of the young people and how we can personalise the learning for them. And the fact that you found your passion and although you are not a DJ, you are running your own music industry business in events and promotion is amazing. And I wonder if your story could have been different if you'd had a little bit more support to do that earlier on. I agree. Thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. No worries. Thank you. Cheers, Anna. Thank you for listening to this episode of Third Millennium Education. I'd like to know what has been your biggest takeaway from this conversation. If you did enjoy this episode, do hit the subscribe button to continue to receive future episodes of this podcast. If you would like to be interviewed or you know somebody who would be good to interview, please also get in touch. I hope you'll join me on the next episode and together we can carry on the conversation to ensure that we can best meet the needs of third millennium learners, employers and the country. Thank you again and see you on the next episode.